All right, Sprint here. We are closing out the year. It's December, and on Compiler, we've had a lot of really good times with you this year. We're going to rest up for a little bit, and we'll be back soon. But to pass the time until then, and to ease everyone into these cool winter months, if you're in the Northern Hemisphere, we wanted to share some of our favorite moments from this year. Take a little trip down memory lane. Some of the unexpected insights from our guests, engaging stories, uh, some of the laughs that we've had along the way. So uh, are you ready, Angela? I'm ready. Let's do this. All right, let's go. This is Compiler, an original podcast from Red Hat. I'm Angela Andrews. And I'm Brent Simino. We go beyond the buzzwords and jargon and simplify tech topics. Today, we're looking back at the best moments from this year. We have producers Johan Philippine and Kim Wong in the studio. Let's see what they have for us. Johan, do you want to go first? Because you had a lot of really great picks from the year, and I want to hear what you have for us. Well, it was really difficult to pick because we've had such a great year. But Mm -hmm. I want to jump to our very first episode of 2023, Mm -hmm. which was the CTO and the vision. Now, this one was one of my favorites of the whole year. I got to speak with our very own Chris Wright, our CTO here at Red Hat, and we were able to record a lot of candid guest tape that gave a different perspective on the job and really shed a lot of light on what it's like to be a CTO, a lot of which was unexpected for me. It also launched a really great series. As part of the C-suite, the CTO spends a lot of FaceTime with customers and with partners, and those communication skills really come in handy to figure out what they need and what they're curious about. Mm. But he also, like you're saying, he kind of needs to manage expectations a little bit. It's true. So it's not uncommon for me to have these conversations with customers that start out with a very open-ended question, like effectively, what's the world going to be like in five years? The honest answer to that is, in many ways, I just have absolutely no idea. So the fortune teller aspect, boy, is it hard to tell the future. Now, you could recontextualize that in five years what will the enterprise look like? That's a lot easier to have an opinion around because most of what the enterprise will look like in five years is what we're working on today. So that starts to build that bridge. And if we recalibrate the timelines, like when you say in five years, do you mean what new invention will exist or how far should I be along the path of absorbing today's technology? Those are very different conversations. And in the latter, I'm much more of, the cartographer or helping them map out a path into the future rather than just gazing into my crystal ball and explaining that I believe in 2027 we'll have autonomous flying vehicles. Well, we know that crystal ball isn't absolutely accurate. Mm -hmm. I mean, because if we're talking about looking into the future, we'd already be in flying cars by now. (laughs) (laughs) But that's an interesting take on it where that is two different questions. I mean, where we are now has a huge impact on where we'll be in five years. Mm. It is the groundwork. But how far will we have been in these new emerging technologies? Mm -hmm. How much will we have progressed in these new burgeoning technologies? And Mm -hmm. yeah, they are two different questions. And His answer is he has no idea. That's really the honest answer because we can go back five years from now 
And a lot of us, we knew what the technology could be, but we didn't have an idea about the possibilities, right? Uh So in five years from now, we're dealing with a lot of merging technologies in Red Hat and other companies and other sectors around the technology space. And we have an idea because we have so much burgeoning technology now, but Uh we have no idea what it's going to look like in five years. And that's the interesting part of it. How do you decide where to place your bets? Uh So less... Nostradamus, more Magellan is what I'm like picking yeah. up. I hear from that. It. Yes, exactly. I definitely hear that. Yeah. The the other example that he gave in our conversation was, you know, back in the mid 2000s or whatever, no one really knew anything about the smartphone or mm. what what it was going to be or what it was going to do. And a lot of early adopters bought it just because it was the cool new thing, right? And then you couldn't have predicted the impact that it would have on our society and the rise of, you know, apps and social media and and all the different things that arose out of this new invention and and how that changed the tech industry. And look at us now. Yeah. (laughs) Look at us now. Now, even when he makes sure that customers understand his role more of a, a cartographer rather than a fortune teller, a lot of them, you know, they hear him as, as a CTO and they still expect a little bit too much from him. Hmm. All they expect me to know is everything that's in our portfolio, all the features, the roadmaps, the dates for deliverables, the commercial pricing models, etc. Everything, if you take a look at our portfolio, there are white spaces where we might work with partners or, or just have no great solution. Mm. So there's everything that's in our portfolio. Then it's everything that's not in our portfolio. <laughs> and then it's all the emerging new ideas that aren't necessarily well mapped to either of those. That's all. It's essentially everything. And it, it's a completely unrealistic expectation that any single person knows that much because they also assume I'll know it down to a level of detail of lines of code, you know, implementation details. And I've found that frustrating and even overwhelming at times. Hmm. Wow. Wow. Okay. So he doesn't know all those things? (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) I I just love how honest he was in that response because I feel like a lot of people in the tech industry, they'll just put up this front of, Knowing everything, everything, and you know, trying to get that and use that in order to advance their own careers and everything. And Chris here just tells us how impossible that is, and and how impossible that makes his job, and how it would, you know, down the line lead for disappointment for everyone. And it's just, it's just so refreshing to be able to hear that. Mm-hmm. That's it true. really is. It's for me, it's comforting because mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. then I don't feel the pressure to know everything about my job. The wild thing about this episode for me was that I had a kid last year, late last year, Uh and I was on parental leave when this episode came out. So I had no idea what the three of you were up to. (laughs) And suddenly on my phone, this new episode of Compiler comes out. Right? With who? Chris Wright. (laughs) With With Chris Wright. And I just got to listen to it and enjoy it. And I learned so much from all three of you and Chris. Like, it was just such a different experience than I usually have with this show. Because I'm Mm. usually in here, like, looking at scripts and recording with all of you and, like, talking through, like, episode ideas and stuff. And, like, it was just, it was really nice to have an outside perspective on this one. Nice. 
I want to introduce one of my picks now. We just talked about Chris Wright talking about being that single point person, that that person who's like a living document who knows everything, right? Being that single point person can be a lot. But for another person who is new to the company, who is new to the work in general, finding that point person is invaluable. On our first episode on legacy technology, Jessica Cherry told us about a guy named Paul and how important it is to pass on living history. Okay, so you you get this box. You get what this you, box. What do you what do you do with it? Like how how do you like you what, what to is log Jessica... into it and see what's on it? Other like what else are you supposed to do? Mm-hmm. Hopefully they still have the credentials. Usually mm-hmm. they do. It's on a sticky note taped to the side of the server. <laughs> because again, no one knows what it does. So you have to log into it and see. You have to get the lay of the land. You have to understand exactly. How do you do that this. though? You click in a, around, you go, you know, now we can, you know, not we Google, we figure out, oh, what's the mm-hmm. software called? Well, what does it do? Or, you know, we look at the network traffic. Well, where is it going? Who's accessing it? Um, mm. When's the, check the logs. What's happening on here? You have to get an idea of what other things are installed, if there's any services that depend on one another, how it all works. Mm-hmm. And you just try to make a map of what this thing is doing and mm-hmm. understand who its stakeholders are. Maybe you go talk to them. Maybe they have some idea, you know, you have to start somewhere. So the first thing you do is you log in. (laughs) (laughs) That can't be the only thing, though, right, Johan? Yeah. I mean, if you're really, really lucky, you have a Paul. Paul is your single point of failure. Paul knows everything. If Paul gets run over by a bus, you have a problem. I'm going to call the name out as Paul because I had a Paul, right? You become friends with Paul because Paul knows everything and that makes your job a lot easier to hang out and be like, dude, can I just write notes and hang out with you for like 15 minutes, please? I've known a Paul. I have been a Paul, so. (laughs) (laughs) I have a Paul in my life right now too. Mm. They're invaluable. Mm -hmm. Don't let anything happen to them because, yeah, yeah, you wouldn't know what to do. If my Paul ever leaves... We're done for. <laughs> like we're just we're just done for. Everybody should have a Paul. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hopefully, in the best case scenario, you have a Paul who will teach you about the black box, mm-hmm. and at some point down the line, you'll teach someone, and they'll teach the next person. It keeps the system alive and running, and the business operating. But you're still kind of stuck with that hit by a bus problem. So what do you do when you don't have that unbroken chain of knowledge to pass on the sacred scrolls? (laughs) Jessica has found that she can figure things out, much like Angela was just describing, though it'll probably take a bit more time and be much less pleasant. Sometimes I just wander around and look at stuff. (laughs) It's good to have the general interest of what's going on here. That has always been a little bit of my life in general, where I'm all like, I wonder what happens if I touch this. And my mom will tell you, like, this poor girl just will fall into a lake to see if it's wet. Right? Like, and I am that person where I'm like, poke, poke. Oh, no, I blew it up. And then, like, have to, which is, they... My buddy nicknamed me Armageddon for this very reason. I will blow stuff up and be like, huh, I'll figure it out. Hold on. I'll bring it back. And that kind of skill set is useful. 
So her nickname is Armageddon. Okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. she's fun at parties, I'm sure. <laughs> she is a very fun person. When uh, we first started working on Legacies, Jessica Cherry was one of the people that someone else actually recommended uh, I talk to her about the show because she had so many interesting stories and insights and and so many things to share. And I I got to talk to her, but I didn't actually get to do her interview because I mm. think I was sick. Uh-huh. And I I've never in my life, or at least never never in the history of the show, been so so sad to have missed out on interviewing someone mm. for the show. Like I really really like Jessica Cherry. I mean, you could just hear it in her voice. Like she's mm-hmm. she, she's just a. Uh, a very knowledgeable person, but she's also a person who's like very practical, very down to earth and very just a person who you want to talk to and you want to hang out with. I'm so enamored of her and I've never been so disappointed in my own immune system uh, to not have been able to talk to her and get, and actually do her interview. So Mm. that's why I wanted to pick this. It was a lot of fun to talk to her for that amount of time. Oh, go ahead and rub it in. I'm just going to rub it in just a little bit, you know. You should have said it sucked. It was a terrible interview. <laughs> Don't no. make her feel bad well, I already. I wouldn't do a guest in like that. That's not. That's There's not no I know. evidence she was to say. Yes, she no was evidence amazing. to say that. The the one the one big thing is that, and this happens for most of our episodes, is is we have these really great, really long, really insightful conversations with yeah. all of yep. our guests, and so little of it makes it into each episode yeah and this is really just like a little cherry on top of the of the interview oh, gets in the, the jessica cherry See what you did yeah there, there you go brett got it brett's picking up what i'm putting <laughs> down there it is. i love it this clip i think also really encapsulates <laughs> angela and i's relationship <laughs> which is basically uh brett asking a really dumb question how do you know what's in the box and angela being like <laughs> google uh, you log into the box dummy <laughs> Oh my gosh. That's just the practical side of me. You you have to look. Like you don't you don't just know. You have to kind of look around. So but if you if you've been in the Jessica Cherry shoes or the Paul's shoes or the Angela shoes, you would know that already. But I'm like I'm just like super risk averse too. So I'm like, if there's a box that I shouldn't be in, that I shouldn't be in, I'm not I'm not touching that box. I'm not going in the box. Oh no, no I'm going in. Coming up after the break, why titles matter when pitching and presenting at a tech conference, and the one word technologists use to both communicate needs and respect others' boundaries. Stay tuned. Hey, I'm Jeff Ligon. I'm the Director of Engineering for Edge and Automotive at Red Hat. When I say edge computing, the average person probably thinks smart device, smart fridge, smart watch, smart speaker. But edge computing goes way beyond that. A fridge with a Wi-Fi connection is one thing. A robotic vehicle that's sorting packets and using AI to plan its route through the warehouse, that's something else entirely. At that level of complexity, you've got software in the cloud, software in the warehouse, software in the robot. How would you even manage an update without a common system? This is where Red Hat's edge solutions come in. We simplify and streamline operations from the cloud to the farthest edge across all kinds of devices and use cases because everything should just work everywhere. Find out more at redhat.com slash edge. (laughs) 
I wanted to introduce, this is one of my picks. Um, I want to introduce uh, Francisco Ticio or reintroduce Francisco Ticio to our listeners. He spoke with us for one of our summer series episodes on tech conferences, which... Love this one. Yeah, me too. Mm. This is one of my favorites. Yeah, we really got a lot of positive responses about this episode in particular. I'm going to kind of keep it a secret as to why I picked it until after. I'm going to let okay. uh, you all kind of listen to it, kind of relive it, let our listeners kind of hear it. And then I will come in and say exactly why I picked this clip. But okay. let's listen in on Francisco talking about abstracts and also how to write them and what are some things that are like crucial to have in an abstract. Minutes of their time. So the abstract job is to convince people that they should absolutely listen to your talk. Not all the abstract will be successful. You will get some of them accepted. You will get some of them rejected. But the main thing is that if you don't write any abstract, there are no chances to go and speak in public. (laughs) So Mm. I started writing about how you can build what I think is a successful abstract or something that is more likely to be accepted at conferences. Mm. So let's talk about that for a bit, both here and in his blog. He says that there's no foolproof formula for writing an abstract that is going to guarantee success, right? Mm. Even even he has dealt with rejection in that regard. Oh, I'm sure. Well, one, yeah. I can't wait to read the uh, blog post because I'm really interested in what he thinks about that. And mm-hmm. and the other thing is rejection is a part of the game. Think about it. If a conference has 60 sessions and yes. 700 submissions are submitted, that's a lot of rejection. But, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, but you really can't take it personally. I, mm-hmm. I think having that mindset, like it's almost like a numbers game. It's a lottery. You just have to do your best to like put your best foot forward and, and maybe you'll be at the top of the heap. But you're right. Uh, you have to deal with it. I think everyone who's ever presented has had to deal with some sort of rejection mm-hmm. like that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the abstract is a very strange genre. You have to do a lot of work in a very little space. Mm. Uh And I think sometimes we want formulas. Sometimes we want, if I just do X, Y, and Z, then it will be a great abstract. That's what we want, but that's just not reality because communication is so much more of an art, (laughs) you know, than a science. Uh I do want to get into the finer points because there are some things here and most of them won't surprise anyone here, but they're all good things to remember. Mm. So first off, the title, right? Please keep it simple and clear, right? People know what they're getting into when they read the title. Mm -hmm. Uh, A funny title does show off your personal style, but you should also kind of be careful to demonstrate what the attendee will learn from the session. You always want to kind of make that the emphasis. And also, obviously, it goes without saying, uh, every event has their own guidelines. Please pay attention to those as well. Mm -hmm. If you think about how the audience is going to encounter that title, Mm, it's really important. So context matters here. Indeed. Uh It's going to be on a conference website. It's going to be on the conference app if they have one. It will be perhaps if it's a smaller conference, like in a booklet, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and people are going to be 
uh, scrolling and scrolling and scrolling yes. through so many titles. Uh-huh. It's almost like a sea of titles in some ways. So it is. I think that's something to remember. It is. And it's a tidal wave. Yeah. And <laughs> did, really... did you say tidal wave? Oh, uh-huh. my gosh. She sure did. <laughs> oh. Uh, another really great thing to remember, and I'm glad you brought this up, Brent, is uh, the digital aspect of it. Yeah. From, a, from a digital perspective, because there's so many different places and areas where the title of your abstract can appear, it may appear truncated. So you have to kind of keep that in mind, kind of like a little like UX that you're keeping in mind, like where, you know, if this person is looking on it on a mobile phone, is my title going to be fully read or is it going to be truncated or cut short? So that is something to keep in mind. Simple and clear. Mm -hmm. If you have a really long, lofty title, Mm. Something may get lost in translation. You just think about it. We're in the middle of conference season and I'm looking at conferences and I'm trying to figure out, well, where will I spend my time? And again, if it's not grabbing you, if it's not in your wheelhouse, um, if it's not clear and it just there's so many there's so many things that can come into play where, wow, this won't catch someone's attention. Mm -hmm. All of these things are true. And just because, for all of our listeners, just because your abstract is not accepted doesn't mean it's not great. Mm -hmm. It's just not that particular fit. And Johan mentioned this. We've been having little conversations about submitting abstracts Mm -hmm. where it might not just be a fit for this particular conference, but Mm. it would fit amazing somewhere else. So you might have to take your show on the road. Who knows? Yeah. Mm. All that work you've put together in... Writing the abstract, putting the title together, and, you know, you've taken the work to also make the presentation. That doesn't necessarily need to go to waste, right? Exactly. So does anybody want to hazard a guess as to why I picked this? Yes. (laughs) I do know that you recently spoke at a conference. I did. I did. Oh. Uh, Yes. And the conference was wonderful. I learned a lot. Um. My talk, when it came to be my talk, my talk was in the afternoon. Talk was great. I feel like I put it together really well. Abstracts was uh, was pretty good. And this is the part where if we have, if an audio editor could go through and do like the where I'm saying, oh, the title needs to be like, you know, it needs to be optimized. It needs to be mm-hmm. done really well to catch people's attention. You can go back to current day, present day. What did you uh, do, Kim, with your title? <laughs> I did not put a lot of energy into my title. <laughs> what? I didn't make it very clear. Oh, no. And I paid for it because uh, the interest in my talk was not as much as I thought it would be. Mm. You know, it was already at a time of the day where people were very kind of like tired and winding down. And then on top of that, it wasn't very clear as to what my talk was going to be about from the title itself. So I paid for that. I I worked on this episode and I said in my voice that titles are important and I didn't follow my own advice. So that is why I am picking this mm. as one of my best moments because it's something that I didn't follow it and it came back to haunt me. <laughs> That's why I wanted to talk about it. Okay, listeners, don't be Kim. Don't be like me. Make sure that your title is put together. Have your friends read it. Have other people read it. Don't be like me. Don't do what I did. Uh, definitely, you know, prepare and do your best. 
Oh, well, I think we've all learned a little bit from this episode. I mean, I know I did. So much so that I submitted to a conference just recently. Do you know the results yet? Yeah. No, not yet. I have plenty of time to find out if they've accepted it. But this episode... I put a link to it in my slide deck so <gasps> other folks could know, you know, Francisco's great ideas and all of the great feedback oh, nice. that we gave about mm-hmm. making a good abstract. So hopefully it goes far and a lot of folks can learn from it. So I'm happy no matter what. Did Angela's talk get accepted? Find out. Check us out on social media on Instagram X and LinkedIn. Check us in 2024. <laughs> One thing I'd like to mention here that I, I don't know that we actually covered in the episode is mm. that there can be a lot of time between oh, when oh, yes. you submit the abstract oh, and it was when a lot it actually time. gets accepted. It can be months. Tell them, Johan. Yeah. Also, a lot can change in those mm. months, too. Yeah. We know that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I, I know it can be difficult to wait that long and to have that anticipation of like, oh, did I get accepted or not? But sometimes that's just the nature of the game, right? Because yeah. they have so many abstracts to get through and make their decisions and weigh one thing against another. It can be a really long process. It's so months. if you do submit, you know. Buckle up. Know that it's going to be a long haul for, for at least for the very big conferences. Yeah. yeah. This has happened yeah. to me before where it's like... <laughs> I'll forget that I submitted an abstract, you know, or like. And now you got to do the I'll work. I like remember and then I'm like, oh, uh-huh. I got to oh, wow. put together a presentation now. Yeah. Oh, my god! You know, yeah. but then, I, you know, it's also happened to me where I'm like, I'm a different person like six months later or whatever, mm. you know. How about that? And the thing that I was really excited about six months ago when I, you know, wrote this abstract, like. I've already moved on, you know, like I'm on to some other new like topic or thing that I'm really excited about. And I got to dig back into like, oh, what did I even write? The upside. <laughs> so I get what you're saying. We could have moved on, want to talk about and learn other new things. Mm-hmm. But for someone submitting to a conference that maybe they want to talk about something that's sort of like a stretch goal. Yeah. Well, now you've given yourself this really nice cushion to mm-hmm. kind of master yeah. said topic and practice it and pull it all together. And then if you get selected, then you can really fine tune. And then when you get up there to present, think about all the months of work. Mm-hmm that you've put into this topic that you want it to master. You know, you, you're you now the teacher. You're, mm. you're sharing your knowledge and information with other folks. So it can be not a bad thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's not on top of mind, but it's also could be a blessing for someone who's putting themselves out there to talk yeah. about something else. Absolutely. Well, Johan, I'm going to kick it to you because you <laughs> have the final pick. Uh, so for my final pick, uh, I selected a clip from a guest who we've actually had on twice this year. Um, okay. So if you've been following along, you'll know that this is Jose Vicente Nunez mm-hmm. in the episode Adventures in Automation. Yep. Yeah. I really love this episode because it's got a really good mix of humor and helpful information with guests whose expertise span the whole gamut of where our audience might be and or where they might be headed in their own learning experience. 
And it's just another one of those episodes where I went into it thinking that it was going to go a certain way, that the interviews were going to get a, a, a certain type of response. And the end product was so very different yeah. than what I initially thought that it just changed the whole episode. And I think it changed it in, in, in a much better way. Um, and this happens all the time. But I love that. So what does it what does it mean to take your time, right? You we talked about testing your scripts, mm-hmm. adjusting them, and then testing them again and again until you're confident beyond a reasonable doubt that the update's going to roll out the way that you want it to, right? That it's going to be smooth. That way, you're not going to break a large chunk of your hardware, and you're going to keep your your infrastructure running. And for that really expensive piece of hardware, that FPGA card that's like twenty thousand dollars, sometimes it's okay to do things by hand. Now, another way to minimize things going wrong is to keep the scripts simple and have them do one single job. And that's not always as easy as it seems because it can be tempting to add functionality to a script. Mm -hmm. And there can also be pressure from other teams to add functions as well. Now, over the years and over his career, Jose has had to learn an important skill. I learned how to say no. (laughs) So it's like, can you add this feature to put this data into the database? No. Can you add this feature to launch a Docker container? And it, no. <laughs> what we can do, we can do this. But uh, you don't need to change the tool. Keep the tool simple, and anything that you want to put on top of that, we can do it. All right, let's all say it together. No. No. <laughs> no. no. Okay. No is such, it's a complete sentence. Mm-hmm. It gets your point across, mm-hmm. and it is okay to lead with no because mm-hmm. not every request that you get requires your attention or not your immediate attention. So it is okay to say no. Learn how to say no and be comfortable in it Mm. because it may save you in the long run because you can always come back and say yes. It's hard to come back from saying yes to a no. So Mm. think about that. Yeah, if you start with that simple script and you start adding things to it, it's harder to remove those features than it is to, to add them later on. Yeah, that's a great point. So we're talking about automation, and there's this famous automation instructor. And Mm -hmm. one of the words, this phrase he always says is, keep it simple. Complexity kills productivity. Mm -hmm. And I believe that wholeheartedly. You want to do things in modular, small, little piecemeal things. Mm -hmm. You don't want to go messing up a whole lot at once because it's really harder to undo something that is complex. And it's really harder for someone else to come behind you and understand what you did when it's so complex. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'm, I'm all for putting the brakes on <laughs> well it sounds like there's there's a lot of benefit to simplicity here right For i sure. think that they're you know it's not <laughs> it's not because you don't want to sort of it's not that you're lazy and don't want to do more work mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. it's because it has all these like really great effects yeah and, and keeping it simple makes it easier for the thing to just work and just mm. keep working and you know you're, you're minimizing the the surface area for problems to occur mm-hmm. either now or later on saying no is really great for keeping it simple and those simple scripts well they can last a lot longer than you might imagine you will surprise i seen pieces of code that are like uh, 20 years old and they're still kicking Perl especially oh my god these guys I'm telling you, if there is a catastrophe, like an asteroid hits the Earth or something like that, you will see the roaches and the pearl scripts taking over. (laughs) Probably those will be the only two things that will survive because they're so resilient. 
That was the perfect visual. Pearl will never die. <laughs> Neither will cockroaches. Like uh -huh. we, with, that has yeah. already been established. Yeah. How funny is that? That's great. I love it. I love talking. To you. I love that clip. I'd forgotten this about the roaches. This was so funny. <laughs> <laughs> the pearl strips. Yo, I love it. What a fun episode. Yes. I, de I definitely love that episode. I wasn't surprised at all when Johan chose it. Oh, you picked a good one. This was one definitely that I'm glad you put it in the end of year mm -hmm. because it has all the things. It has all the elements of a, of a great story. And it was funny. And our guest was so cool. And he has a slogan. No. Like, you can't, you can't <laughs> yes. top that. Just say no. <laughs> we should all be like Jose. Mm -hmm. This is another one of those where I'm intensely jealous of you, Johan and Kim, that you get to talk to these guests. All the people. Mm -hmm. A little, like, behind the scenes. Like, Angela and I... We don't do any of these interviews. That's right. We don't even hear any of the guest tape what? before we get into the studio. <laughs> and Kim and Johan, like, go have all these really fascinating conversations. And then mm -hmm. Angela and I, we're hearing it for the first time with yes. all of you listeners, yes. you know? So it's like, <laughs> I'm realizing again and again in listening to all these episodes that, like, you might have the best job ever because you get to go, like, just talk to these, like, really smart wonderful people you got to interview this guy twice twice, twice. <laughs> yes. right. and and now there's that he yes. was kind enough to come back yeah what was the original episode that he was in Johan? it was for re-roll but i don't remember which one it was it was the sysadmin episode it was the sysadmin oh. episode that's right oh that's right i do i okay yeah. i remember the sysadmin that in the script i think that's right yeah. yep So that was the last of the picks from this year. What do we think? I don't know how you could pick just four, mm. but you did a great job narrowing it down. Did you go back and listen to a lot of tape? That had to be hard. We had some really good episodes this year. Yeah. I mean, all of our guests, and if you've ever been a guest on Compiler and you're listening, first of all, thank you so much for Indeed. giving us your your time, your energy, sharing your stories, your insights with us. Uh, it really means a lot, not just mm -hmm. for us being able to do this job that we love, but also it teaches us. Mm -hmm. Johan and I learn a lot from these conversations that we like then go forward into our own lives and our own working lives and our own relationships. We implement the things that we learn and we're we're constantly talking to these, like Brent said, really smart people. Mm -hmm. And it's just, you know, it's irresistible to like kind of follow their advice and mm -hmm. their insights because they're just so strong and they're so grounded. In Unless you're writing a title for a talk. Unless you're writing a <laughs> then... title for a talk. <laughs> Sorry. It was too easy. Well, yes, yes, yes. Lessons learned are powerful. Even lessons learned through failure, right? So, you know, uh, but yeah, like the it's just great having you know, I, I did go through quite a few episodes to to kind of pick the ones that I chose um, I feel like Johan I feel like you were like when I saw the ones that you picked I was not surprised at all hmm. like I feel like that you definitely I could see mm -hmm. that those two were like your favorite picks from the year yeah uh, my process I guess was a little bit different I didn't listen to uh, all of the episodes we went through this year but I did go through them one by one and and kind of just remembered the really poignant moments that yeah. kind of stuck out to me and I was like oh yeah these are the two that on top of all the others uh, are, are the ones that I really want to revisit because they're the ones that 
kind of spoke to me the most. Yeah. Mm. I should start a compiler journal where next year when we circle back and someone says, oh, Angela, which episodes do you want to, you know, do our year in review? Well, let me just pull this up and... (laughs) Dear Dear journal. Dear diary. (laughs) Exactly. I just, I love Compiler and Mm -hmm. you, you all do such a great job with these topics and these guests and you make it what it is. And I know folks have a great time listening Mm -hmm. because I hear back from people that tell me just how much they enjoy this podcast. It's so much fun. Well, do we want to, do we want to sign off for the holidays? Uh, Wherever you are in the world, uh, I hope that you are well and that you are safe and that you have a great time doing whatever it is that you love, hopefully not working. And in the new year, you might not hear much from me for a while. Uh, I am off. moving uh, to Europe, and I'm also going to be working on some other projects uh, with this team. Mm. So there's more to come there. Yes. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for an amazing 2023. Let us know what you thought about this episode. All of our episodes, we would love to hear it. You can hit us up on social media at Red Hat Everywhere using the hashtag Compiler Podcast. Thank you so much. And here's to an amazing 2024. And that does it for this episode of Compiler. Today's episode was produced by Kim Wong, Johan Philippine, and Caroline Craighead. A big thank you to, well, to you. Thank you for supporting the show um, this year and every year. Victoria Lawton is our unbroken chain of knowledge. Sometimes she blows things up, but she always brings them back. Our audio engineer is Christian Prohome. Special thanks to Sean Cole. Our theme song was composed by Mary Anchetta. Our audio team includes Lee Day, Stephanie Wunderlich, Mike Esser, Nick Burns, Aaron Williamson, Karen King, Jared Oates, Rachel Ertel, Devin Pope, Mike Compton, Ocean Matthews, Paige Johnson, Alex Trabulsi, and Mira Cyril. If you liked today's episode, please follow us, rate the show, leave a review, share it with someone you know. It really does help us out. Until next time, have a good one, everybody. We'll see you next year. Happy New Year.